You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's your host, Canada's leading podcaster, CPA and business strategist, Robert Gold, managing partner at Bennett Gold LLP. Once again, from high atop the Movers and Shakers Podcast Center, Toronto, way up on the 87th floor this week, live and in the morning, we're way off to the east. I can see Wolf Island, Ontario. I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Benegold LLP, Chartered Accounts and CPAs in Toronto. Today, have I got a guest for you. Mike McKenna is with us. Mike is the CFO of LifeSpeak. He's got some great history in the tech industry. Mike, welcome to the Movers and Shakers Podcast. Thank you very much. So you may or may not know, I know Mike because full transparency, Mike is a family member. He's my nephew, but he has done some amazing things without my assistance. Mike at LifeSpeak, lifespeak.com. He's got a fabulous journey to get to this point. Mike, a lot of people know as a real financial guru. He was Mobile Clinic's chief financial officer and was responsible for the company's capital raising initiatives and ultimately led the successful sale of Mobile Clinic to TELUS. Today, Mike is the chief financial officer at LifeSpeak. He oversees all aspects of their financial strategy. LifeSpeak is fascinating to me because it went public public earlier this summer, and it's one of the only Canadian publicly traded tech-driven wellness firm. Okay, Mike, tell us a little bit about your career path, how you ended up where you are today. Thanks again for having me today. It's a greatly appreciated opportunity. In terms of my career path, I was doing my MBA at, uh, at Ivy, and, and I graduated from Ivy in 2005. And Coming from that MBA program, I was able to get a job in investment banking at Scotia. And over my time at investment banking at Scotia, I worked largely in the telecom, media, and technology sector for about 11 years. And in that time, you know, I was responsible for various capital raising initiatives, M&A opportunities for some of the larger Canadian telecom and tech companies that you might know of. Through that opportunity, I was able to, to meet some really great people and uh, create an opportunity to go start a business after uh, my banking career was over. And I did that with a few um, ex-clients, actually, from my time at Scotia. We partnered to uh, start a mobile phone repair business called Mobile Clinic, which was a business that we successfully built and sold to TELUS. And that was really my first introduction to being a CFO. And it was a very interesting opportunity because, you know, building a retail business is very very capital intensive, requires significant amount of capital to be invested in the business. And we were able to raise significant capital and build a very high quality retail chain across Canada. Mike, I want to interrupt you for one second, because that is a hard, hard thing for our entrepreneurs, especially our tech entrepreneurs, is raising capital. Now, you know there are other chains in Canada that opened. They were competitors to yours, but they didn't make it. They closed. Yet you successfully raised the capital that those other guys, if they'd been able to do it, they'd still be here today. What was the trick? Well, I think it was being very active and very early in the market. And what I mean by that is we did a very good job of, in the very early days, getting a very good set of individual high net worth people to be investors in our company. And those were some very well-known folks, some people that we had done work with previously, both as professional colleagues and or clients. For example, some of my previous clients that I had done work with in banking um, you know, uh, looked to be investors in that business. And we got some very high-quality sponsorship out of the gate people who really believed in us and were part of that journey and part of that story. And then what we also did was that we weren't too afraid to 
look for larger investors early on. In the very early days of a business, especially a retail business in Canada, you know, be able to go out and raise $100 million. But we weren't afraid to go out and try to raise larger amounts of money, so $10, you know, $15 million, that type of thing. And then being able to do so, we were able to broaden our investor base very significantly and very quickly. And we got some real good, strong sponsorship from some of the smaller private equity firms in Toronto, Kensington Capital being one that was an investor in Mobile Clinic from day one. And right from the get-go, that provided us very significant and strong credibility and allowed us to have the capital base to build that business. It was a very capital-intensive business to build, both from the requirements of the store network as well as the inventory required to run the network. And we had to have good, strong sponsorship because we were early and aggressive in the market and willing to take on larger chunks of capital out of the gate from very good investors. We also got pretty good advice from on building our business, right? Um, There's a lot of smart people out there. We had good support from from the early days. And we had to go back to them at different times to, to continue to help us because we had them from early days and because they really believed in the story and what we were doing. It made those subsequent capital raises Never easy, but more palatable. I have another question for you about operations at Mobile Clinic. And because of my familiarity with that type of industry, with with other chains, I know that the industry changed rapidly during your path to build it up. And before you sold it, the industry changed rapidly many times. There were no refurbished sales. And all of a sudden, Deloitte says the global market for refurbished phones is $40 billion. You had to pivot a few times. How easy or difficult was it to pivot at Mobile Clinic? It's a great question, and it absolutely was imperative to our success. And it was absolutely tied to the previous question about the capital, right? Because we went from being a business that was focused just on repair to being a business that also repaired and resale of phones along with accessories, that's a tremendous amount of investment required. So not only was it important to build a very strong network of stores, but to be able to to have those stores be able to adapt to a changing market and be able to house the inventory and, and more importantly, for us to be able to purchase the inventory that was required to take a business from largely a repair business to a three products type business, repair, refurbishment, and accessories, it was important to be well capitalized. And so from a vision perspective, the opportunities there, you can see it. The market changes. The market itself on the wireless side is going to, you know, at the time to more of a bring your own device opportunity for the consumers. It plays well into having the retail network and being able to do the multi-product. But in order to be able to do that, you had to be capitalized. We were thankful that we had the vision of being a, a well-capitalized entity. It did allow us to make the key investments, right? So that's a really good point. Although a firm might recognize a need to pivot without capital, you're not pivoting anywhere. Mike, let's move on a little bit. From the perspective of an acquirer, a lot of our entrepreneurs and our business owners and managers across the country, their eye is on the exit. They see the sign on the door, they want to get out, and they want to check on their pocket. So what advice would you give to a company that was being acquired, and how do you describe a successful acquisition from the perspective of the company being acquired? Well, I think it's very important to be strategic about this early on in the life cycle of the business. And I don't want to come across as suggesting that you should be building businesses, but from day one, you should just have your view on the exit. But you need to be strategic about it. You need to understand where the opportunities may lie. And that was certainly part of the experience that I've had 
But going into that business, we had a view as to what the opportunities may be from an exit perspective. Now those also changed. We added to those, but we always kept track of them. We always understood what do we want to get from this business. And that's really important from the perspective of your people, perspective of your shareholders, and the perspective of your key management. That takes a lot of detail and that takes a lot of time. And I think all those things are very important. So always be strategic about what your view is and what your plan is, because if you take your eyes off of the potential exit, it may not be there when you think it's there. But again, that's a delicate balance of not just running your business to exit, right? You have to run your business to be successful day to day, but always with that view as to, okay, where is the end game? And that's important, again, from the perspective of your shareholders, from the perspective of your people. And that requires a lot of detail and a lot of time and never taking your sort of eye off of what your, again, day-to-day strategic goals are. Are there any tips that you would say are must-haves or to have a successful sale of your entity? Well, I think there's three things, and one of them is just the proper amount of time, right? These things can't be put together overnight. They need to be done properly. They need to be done with the proper amount of detail, and that takes time. And that's really important because typically when you get into these situations, you want to work fast, want to get the deal done. Um, But without the proper amount of time, without the proper amount of ability for diligence to be done, the proper footing of the the transaction isn't going to be there. And I think the other important thing about it is don't forget about the people that got you to where you are. To me, the absolute most important part of all of this, right, there will be have been people who have helped build the business to where it gets to on the exit. You know, we need to make sure that those people are probably taken care of. And that comes from a variety of ways, right? It's not just about compensation, but it's about further continued opportunity and just making sure that everyone understands how important they were to getting you to that successful exit. Other than a point like that, which I think is a very, very good social point in doing a deal, people don't often think about the people that help them get to where they are. They just go, thank you, and they, they move on. That's a very Canadian kind of perspective, and I very much appreciate that. But let me ask you this. Other than points like that, are there things that companies tend to overlook when it comes to acquisitions, either from the vendor or the acquirer, something they might overlook? There's a tremendous amount of detail that has to go into these things, making sure that there's proper shareholder protections, making sure that all the compensation is drawn up properly. It is a tremendous amount of detail. And if you don't have the right group of people across all of the key areas, so functional areas, you know, finance, accounting, legal. You're going to sell yourself short because it's not just about the legal agreement. It's not just about some accounting diligence. It's not just about getting comfortable on the price. It is so much about the larger package. And I think what tends to happen sometimes is that there's a view that maybe one of those areas can be overlooked. From my experience, they can't be, right? It has to be the full package. And it's a tremendous amount of detail, a tremendous amount of work. But in taking that approach of being very focused on the entire package, you tend to get to the right place and a better place at the end. Tremendous advice. Let's move on to talk about LifeSpeak, lifespeak.com. And it says on the website, take care of the people who take care of your business. It's fascinating because LifeSpeak, as I understand, helps organizations keep their employees present and productive by supporting mental health and their well-being. LifeSpeak transforms employers' well-being programs. You know, you never used to hear about well-being programs. All of a sudden now, COVID-related, we have well-being programs everywhere. But LifeSpeak provides simple, secure, and effective platform that supports the mental physical health of their clients' employees. Again, take care of the people, take care of your business. So, Mike, let's talk about that. Explain to us how LifeSpeak works and how it supports employers in just that, taking care of their employees. 
So our business is a SaaS-based provider of digital mental health and total well-being education. So what do we mean by that? Our business focuses on enterprises purchasing the product for their employees to access. We have an extremely large and deep content library of well-being education and wellness education that the employers can access on an anonymous basis. In terms of employers supporting their employees, it's about providing this education, providing a platform for them to access to ensure that they have the tools to deal with their own personal wellness. And that can be across a variety of topics, whether that's mental health, stress and anxiety, financial health and well-being. We have a broad array of topics that are covered, all to be accessed by the employee on an anonymous basis as a means of supplementing their learning. Is this something that employees sign up for via their employer through LifeSpeak, or is it offered as part of a group insurance package? If I was at a bank and they offered this, how would I get it? What's the the process? So the employer will typically purchase the service from LifeSpeak, generally over a three-year term, with the opportunity then to provide access to all of their employees. So it's a very easily managed and turnkey solution for employers who are looking to provide well-being tools and education to their employees. Mike, have you noticed that COVID-related, pandemic-related, that there is a hockey stick curve to LifeSpeak's revenue, or were you on that trajectory anyway? So the business was definitely on the trajectory previous to COVID. What we have seen is certainly more employers paying attention to our service and the problems that we tend to solve. This has definitely provided opportunity for us, but the business itself is actually 17 years old. We actually solved some problems from COVID that employers are having with their for employees, workforce engagement and wellness opportunities, wellness education for their employees. But we also realize that we're well positioned to solve similar challenges for the next thing that may arise. We're not seeing people purchase our platform today to solve something from COVID. In fact, it's about making sure that employees have the necessary wellness tools. And that's a trend that's likely going to be continued. Was it accelerated because of COVID? Yes, it probably was accelerated because of COVID, but our business was well positioned for this much before. So let's talk about a spin on that because you use the term engagement, workforce engagement. Let's talk for a second about how you see workforce engagement actually helping organizations keep their costs down, if in fact it does. The usage statistics for our platform consistently higher than other potentially similar tools uh, in the industry because of the fact that it's anonymous, because of the fact it's education, because of the fact that we do all of our training in a micro-learning format. We're able to really, really, really highly engage employees at the enterprises that are our customers. Our expert-led education leads to increased usage of our platform, which ultimately creates opportunity for the employees to access education and ultimately drive their wellness journey. So let's take a look at companies that have not engaged LifeSpeak or other services or even considered wellness. Let's talk about companies that they're now considering adopting wellness practices and services for their own employees. Are there criteria? Is there a checkbox? Like, How do they make a decision to adapt 
the program. Clearly, there's a need, given the backdrop of the current environment, to listen to and take care of employees, and that can be done through education. And that's very, very important. And that's why our expert-led education and microlearning platform is very attractive to enterprise because of the depth of the content and the ability for it to be easily accessed. It's a supportive tool. It's education. It's not something that is positioned as a necessity to use. It is at the option of the employee. And that's really important as the employer looks to support the employees on their wellness journey. So now my concern moves towards the startups because we've kept using the term enterprise, which implies that LifeSpeaks programs are for large organizations, and I use the example if I worked for a bank. But let's talk about smaller firms, tech startups, anywhere in the country. They know they've got people that are focused, hard-driven, they're ambitious, yet they do have the same mental health, physical health issues as enterprise employees. Are there tips that you would give to a startup with limited funds to bring in an employee well-being program? Well, of course, we're interested in helping uh, organizations of any size. Our platform is tailored to more larger scale, holistic access of a large organization just because of the nature of the platform itself. But we serve businesses of all sizes. That's important for us as well as we develop our business, our platform, and, and as we grow. We do serve employers of all sizes. The journey itself is really is really the key. So employers need to be supportive of their employees on their wellness journey, and we can obviously play a role in that. Uh, no matter the size of the business. Well, I think it's a fantastic thing for young and smaller tech companies to think about because they have stressed out employees. They have the same issues and concerns about family and work and work-life balance. And everybody, take a look, lifespeak.com. Okay, Mike, where do we find out a little more about LifeSpeak or connecting with you? What social networks would you like to promote? Well, you've mentioned uh, the website a couple times today, lifespeak.com. Obviously, that is the core of the platform. You can go there. You can book a demo. We're also very active on all forms of social media, especially LinkedIn. And you'll see my good friend and partner, CEO, Michael Held, who is one of the most active LinkedIn participants I know of. He would be happy to connect with any and all folks of of businesses of any size on LinkedIn, that is for sure. Well, that was terrific because we have every one of our people, of course, are on LinkedIn and they should definitely communicate with Michael. It's Michael Held, right? You got it. Ask him a question about how you bring wellness into your startup. Mike, this is my favorite part of the whole show and you were not prepped for this. It's our rapid fire questions. I'm going to give you a quick question. You're going to tell me what comes to you off the top of your head. Are you ready? Absolutely. Favorite way to de-stress? Jogging. Favorite quote or a memorable piece of advice that you've been given? Make sure I get enough sleep. Favorite food? Italian. Home or cottage? Cottage. How do you start your day? Well, I like to start the day by including, uh, you know, the family and my two young kids and, and, and helping uh, be a part of their day before they get off to school. And luckily, they're back at school. Absolutely. So your first job? That was working at a restaurant back in Kingston at the uh, Howard Johnson Hotel, of all places. Well, I think your best restaurant story is scooping the loose change out of the, the cushions at Pita Pit or something. I remember that university <laughs> story. Maple Leafs or Canadians, Mike? Canadians all the way. Oh, I don't know. Netflix, I think, has a, uh, or is it Apple? that's got a Maple Leaf documentary building. They came out first, so good luck, Habs. Mike, what are you watching on TV these days? Mostly the Blue Jays. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite travel destination? Croatia. And what industry will be gone in five years? No idea. Yeah, that's, it's such a stumper, that question. Okay, Mike McKenna, <laughs> CFO of LifeSpeak. Mike McKenna, thank you for being a guest on the Movers and Shakers podcast. 
Thank you very much, Bob. And until next time, I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Benicold LLP, Chartered Accounts and CPAs in Toronto. If you want to see what a great CA firm can do for your innovating well-being business, check us out at benicold.ca. See you next time in the morning, everyone, and good night, Wolf Island, Ontario. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools designed to support your business. Until next time.